my fellow film fans, welcome back to another episode of the Backseat Directors Podcast. Backseat Directors, if you're a first-time listener, is a celebration of all things movies, where the movie theaters are sanctuary and movies are lifeblood. We don't rate movies, we recommend them. This is episode 96, and on today's episode, my co-host Ryan Nevin and I will revisit last year's record-breaking movie event of the decade in the Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame. We'll discuss full spoilers about what we liked and did not like about the film. As always, thank you so much for downloading today's episode and for supporting the podcast. If you enjoy listening, why don't you go ahead and tell your friends and family about us? We'd love for you to share the love, and I'd also ask if you could take just one minute and leave us a short review for the show. I'd love to hear from each of you about what you like about the podcast and just your overall thoughts of the show. You can find the Backseat Directors Podcast on every major podcasting platform, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can follow us on social media, or you can go to our website at backseatdirectors.com. If you have any comments or questions, just go ahead and reach out to me directly via email. That email address is andre at backseatdirectors.com. Again, that's andre, A-N-D-R-E, at backseatdirectors.com. All right, let's go ahead and get on with the show. Anyway, well, Ryan, it's good to have you back on the podcast. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Ryan and I, we've got a fun show planned for you guys today. Um, you know, we'll we'll go through our recently watched list. We have just a bit of news that we're going to share with you guys, and then we're gonna we're just going to talk about Avengers Endgame, which I'm very excited to talk about. I know, Ryan, you're going through your Marvel marathon, so we're kind of kind of jumping ahead of where you're at right now. But Avengers Endgame. It was it was trending on Twitter all last week, um, and there's some reasons for that. We'll get into that, but uh, let's just go ahead and jump into things right now, and uh, let's let's get into our uh, wh- what have we watched recently. And Ryan, how about you go first? Okay, uh, cool. So um, obviously we haven't recorded. Uh, I wasn't on the show last week, so it's been a bit of a, a two week. Yeah, gap, yeah, it's been um, a couple weeks. Me. Yeah, um, but I haven't really been smashing the films out too much over then my the Marvel. Um, films because obviously on Tuesday just said that I'm I'm trying to smash the marathon out with with my girlfriend but um, I got onto those one film that we did watch which is kind of um, in theme a little bit with what's going on is we we watched Contagion oh you, yes yes yeah no I watched that uh, two or three weeks ago what do you think I thought it's I I thought it was a kind of a bit of a bad film really no really like i thought it was eerily weird on how it how close it feels to what's going on now and also it was kind of a bit scary on what it could have been what this could have been if this was actually a um a much more of a deadly virus obviously it is deadly don't get me wrong it's taking many lives which is really sad well in in contagion uh, and oh, okay, and fair warning, listeners, this movie is nine years, nine ten years old. Uh, Ryan talks spoilers, so spoil away. Yeah, spoil but in, away. sorry guys, but in Contagion, the virus is is far more deadly than what what coronavirus is. It's essentially anyone who gets it is is pretty much going to die. Right? That's kind yeah. Of... I think I think the death toll count I think in the movie in the U.S. was like between twenty five and thirty five million. So uh, right. a lot, a lot of people. Yeah, died. yeah. It's it far highly, worse. highly but contagious it's... and very very lethal but it was just it that i so with that it was relatable which I, which for me is always a good sign for a film when you can relate to it so i think i enjoyed it more than what i would have because of what's going on even to the point where they're using words like like social distancing and like self-isolation and and stuff like that it's it was all very much 
very weird. What what what? So what did you think about those scenes though? The scenes that I thought were really eerie were like uh, um, they weren't long scenes. They just showed kind of snippets throughout as the pandemic was increasing. It show people at grocery stores and stuff like that, and shelves being empty, and people rushing through and getting water and yeah. toilet paper, and just like, whoa, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. That's why it's because of how how much it feels very much about what's going on. It was kind of scary because I feel like, like I say, if the virus was was more deadlier than what coronavirus is, because of how accurate they've got everything else. It's actually quite scary to think that if coronavirus was somewhere more deadly to what it is, like it is in the film, we probably would have been experiencing something similar to how bad it is there. Like you say, the shops were being absolutely wiped, like they are here, but there was a far more aggressive. There's far more of an aggressive tone to what was going on in the film, wasn't there? With people, with how people were acting, it was far more aggressive because it was. They were they were much more scared of their lives than a lot of people are at the moment. Um, yeah. So that's where for me it was was quite scary on that on that front. There. Well, what do you think about the ending though? I think the ending is like one of the more surreal parts of the movie because of how how similar. I mean, at least what scientists are saying about coronavirus and it, it jumped from animals to human, uh, in that the jump was I think from bats. I think that's where the jump yeah. made, and that essentially was. That's how at the very end it shows you how it jumped and it all happened in China as well. <laughs> Mad, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was start and it's kind of flu like symptoms as well, wasn't it? Cough, um, high fevers. So yeah, that's what's it was so eerie. So yeah. Okay, like but tell me it, tell tell us what you didn't like. I mean we're not doing a full review of the movie, but just what what did you not like about it? There was it? just some certain parts that I just felt from an acting perspective and um was wasn't great. Like there's one bit that really kind of rubs me up one way when the doctor comes out and tells, um, again spoilers, but tells like Matt Damon that his wife had died and it was all just a little bit like, oh we don't know, oh we don't know, yeah no we don't know. You have to go if you want to get someone to look into it, but it's pointless. You might as well just, it's either going to be either this or this. You know what I mean? And it was like, and then Matt Damon's character was just like, okay, oh okay, yeah yeah okay, and I'm like, what? Your wife's just died. The doctor's so flippant about it, and he's just like, oh, yeah, it could have been this, or it could have been this, but you've just got to accept that she's dead. And it was like, what? Like, I don't think this was... If my wife had just died, and the doctor was coming out, just going, yeah, we don't really know what it was, but it probably could have been this, or it probably could have been this, but either way, she's dead. Like, it was just like, what the hell? And, like, every <laughs> loads of scenes were just so flippantly like that, and it really bugged me, just how flippant they were. It was, And I was like, that's what really grind my gears a lot with that film. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But um, yeah, no, I think it was was kind of funny with Contagion. Um, it, it's been for weeks now, weeks. It's been one of the top trending movies on iTunes. So like if you go to iTunes, like on your Apple TV or just even on your phone, um, it will show you uh, which movies are being purchased the most and which movies are being rented the most. And Contagion has been in the top five for weeks now just because that's what everybody wants to watch. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's mad, and I say I watched, um, which I spoke about just before the last car. We watched Shaun the Dead as well, so we've gone through a bit of a kind of apocalyptical kind of thing at the moment. Tis the season, man. Tis the season. (laughs) It is, (laughs) Um, but mainly on the whole, most of our movie watching time now has been trying to smash the the Marvel films. So um, quite entertaining. You'll find it's quite funny. Andre um, was that we watched, um, so we watched First Avenger and Thor um and avengers and then and but the funny thing is right is that we watched iron man 2 because i i i thought we'd watched it 
And me and my girl, so I put on I put on Avengers, and my girlfriend, because she's not really watched all of them, she was like, when you get to the bit in Avengers where um, Scarlet, um, not Scarlet Witch, where Black Widow comes into it, she's just like, oh, so this is the first time we see uh, Scarlett Johansson. I was like, uh... no. <laughs> and she, was like, well, she was like, what do you mean? I was like, no, we saw her in Iron Man 2. And she, my girlfriend was like, uh, I don't think I've watched that. She's like, because she like relies on me. I'm like, no, we definitely watched it. And then so then we had to pause Avengers at that point, put on Iron Man 2 so that she could get that and then watch the Avengers. So we've watched four what's that four um, MCU films now. So that's most of our time has been put up on that. Um, so I, I go for a quick kind of view on, for me, the first Avenger, Captain America, is good. Um, it's one of my least kind of favourite mcu films even though captain america is my favorite hero i feel like they treat him a little bit more like he's an action hero in that film than a superhero um personally thor great i love that film um you, we've discussed this before andre it's good it's a solid solid film and, and my favorite out of the, the thor franchise same same here uh, um oh and we, iron man 2 is actually uh, i prefer much prefer that to iron man 3 really? which is also a film that, which is one that we watched as well yeah yeah i think with iron man 2 I like that you get a lot of Iron Man as like unless not like they got an issue with Tony Stark, but I like seeing Iron Man, the actual superhero of Iron Man. Right. You see a lot more of that. Him in his suit, in his multi different suits, a bit more action and stuff. Um Avengers, um I think I'll discuss a little bit more when we talk about Endgame um later on because I we can talk a bit more about that. But the one thing I want to talk about the most of you is I watched the last one we watched was now is was Iron Man three. So that's the last one that we watched. We watched that um last night. Ragnarok? And no Iron Man three. Oh I oh sorry, sorry. I for, I was just kept thinking Thor. Okay, Iron Man three. Okay, yeah. Iron I mean Man so 3. I mean why I think widely considered among fans and critics, Iron Man three and Thor the Dark World are kind of viewed as like the two weakest movies in all of the MCU, which in my opinion, they're not. I I could actually probably pick two other ones that I think are are the weakest. But okay, go ahead. So for me, I've enjoyed Iron Man three more this watch than I did when I saw it at the cinema. Mm. And I was fleshing this out with my girlfriend. She's really good at at this kind of conversations and trying to get me to pick my brains a bit. And and I think I know why I enjoy it more now than than why I did. And it's because. We've discussed this, Andre, and the fa- phase one of Iron of the Marvel Universe is, a f- is far more serious, right? Thor's more serious. Avenger, uh, first Avenger is, is serious pretty much from beginning to end. I, I can't really think of any jokes. Iron Man 1 is very serious. And Iron Man 2 creeps in a bit more jokes, but it, it's nowhere near on the level of when Avengers happens and right. Joss Whedon takes over. Right. Which I enjoyed as a film in itself. But that's when the new formula started. And then I wasn't expecting Iron Man 3 to be so quippy. So this and that. And for me, I was like, what? And it really didn't settle well with me. It was very jarring. And I think when I came out of it, I was like, I didn't like that film. Everything that was serious that could have happened in that film was tainted with a quip or a joke or a one-liner. And and that's what really went the wrong way. But now we're 22 films deep and they've continued that on. And I'm used to now what the Marvel Universe has become. I can rewatch that film in the frame of mind of what the Marvel Universe is now than what it was. And it allows me to kind of enjoy it more because I know what to expect. But at that point, I was really rubbed up the w- a lot. Like the two scenes that really rubbed me up the wrong way was one when 
when the Mark 42 suit is coming back, when he's run out of all his suits and his suit that he's used throughout the whole film was coming back to fight um, Guy Pearce's character. And then, and it was like, okay, cool. Like he's his girlfriend's um, Pep Potts has apparently just died at the point. And it's like, he's really pissed off. And now his suit that's been with the whole show, like the main boy, the main thing that's been with the whole film is about to come back and he's about to kick ass. And then it smashes into the side and he's just like, oh, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, your girlfriend's just died. Like it's a massive part. So Pepper Potts just died. Really cool thing that your suit has now come back. It's making its way back. It's been a bit battered, but now you're going to win with it. And then it just smashes into the side and he's just like, oh, and then I was like, oh, and then the second bit was when Pepper Potts comes back and then he's like, the love of his life, Pepper Potts has just come back from the dead. And then he's like, I got nothing. I'm like, that's just not how you would act. Right. That's right. Just, oh, yeah. So that, that's what grabs me. But yeah, that's, but now I see it in a different light. What's, what's your thoughts on that film? Well, and I think, I think you bring up really great points because it, it's kind of, it, it, it kind of. I think one of the, the really great examples of what you're talking about, about about the seriousness has really been toned down. And, and what Marvel filmmakers do is that they counteract really serious moments with throwing in a joke after. And one of the great examples is, and you and I talked about this uh, when Thor Ragnarok came out, but when Asgard is destroyed and Asgardians are watching their home planet blow up before their eyes everything that they know their homes their lives everything is gone you have taika waititi's character korg just like making light of it you know and it's like this should be a really heavy serious somber moment for these characters and for the audience like like this isn't anything to joke about like like so but but but, you know but yeah but like that that's that's really where we're at now with kind of the mcu it's it's to you know we only take it serious to a certain extent you know but we're also here for laughs these are comic book movies so let's not take them too seriously and so i i totally get yeah i totally get what you mean but uh i kind of i i kind of forgot that pepper potts does die before she comes back in iron man 3 but what uh, what she gets kind of like superpowers or something in that movie what how yeah how do do they address that that's the final nail in the coffin because it's like they I know, I remember at the time Tony was having like contract issues and he was looking like Iron Man 3 was going to be his last film and stuff like that. So at the end they just wrapped it all up. It was like just with like a, a voiceover of Tony going, so yeah, so I healed like Pepper and you don't even see what's going on and she doesn't have the powers anymore with voiceover. And then whilst I was doing this, I also realized that it's my time to change and I need to get fixed up. And then he gets the um and then he gets the shrapnel taken out right. of him. Which completely then debunks Iron Man two because in Iron Man two he has to f- he creates a new element to save his life because his the arc reactor um, the the energy source of it is not holding up and it's killing him and so therefore he acts stupid he does that party where he kicks off and is acting idiot because he's going to die and so he has to find that element because he can't have the shrapnel taken out of him the arc reactor is what's keeping him alive. But then it turned out the arc reactor then was killing him. But if he could just have the shrapnel taken out, then he's like, then there was no issue. You yeah. weren't going to die. Yeah. Go to the hospital, get it taken out. Because even if it was a risky operation, you you were going to die anyway until until Samuel Jackson comes along and says, no, there's another element you weren't aware of. It's like he was acting like a pleb. He was acting like an idiot because he had accepted his fate that he was going to die. Yeah. But yet it turns out there was actually an operation he could have got 
that would have just taken the shrapnel out. But that's because <laughs> they wanted. But that's because they wanted to put a close on on Tony Stark's character at that point because they weren't sure that that thing he was gonna that Robert Downey Jr. was gonna resign again, and so they decided just in a thirty second little montage at the end of the film to kind of close it close it off. So if he didn't return, that was it. But obviously he did. So maybe it was a mistake on on Disney Marvel's part to do that. But it that's why for me the film is so bad. My girlfriend Lauren, she was after it. She was like, "What?" And she's not even a super fan. Like she was just like, "What?" He's he's just had the shrapnel taken out. Right. What? She was just like, "What's the? Why didn't you just get that when he came back off yeah. his <laughs> off his off when he was thing?" And I was like, "Exactly." And uh, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I thought I thought that removed one of the key elements of of what made Iron Man Iron Man. It's, it's this thing, it's this thing that, you know, this constant, this constant threat of shrapnel entering into his heart and killing him, but him having to have this reactor to keep the shrapnel from out. Like this is, this is, it's central to his identity as Iron Man and, and you removed it. You removed it. Exactly. You know. That's what but that's what he says in Avengers, if you can remember this, and it's one of the things that it's one of my favourite scenes in Avengers, and that's why again it it rubs me up the wrong way that film is because you remember in um Avengers he's in the lab with Bruce and he's trying to tell Bruce that like accept your curse because your curse is what makes you who you are. He's like, I've got this thing here and it's like this is stopping me from dying every day and he's like, and I've chosen to accept <laughs> it and build my life around it. And so he's using that thing, his chest, his the art reactor, that is keeping him alive in this speech to tell Bruce, um, it aids Bruce's character and who Bruce becomes. Yeah. And then like what you've just said. Yeah. Then it's like, so he's gone from being what you've just said and how we saw Iron Man, everyone saw Iron Man and what this, this piece was inside of him to just taking it out. So right. like it just voids so much. So yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree, man. It's it, what's funny though, because I kind of think about this. Uh, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how far the filmmakers and like Kevin Feige and all the execs at Marvel Studios, how how far they really saw this going. Like, what you know, you you are starting to get a little tidbit of Thanos in the first Avengers movie, um, you know, and and. And so they have like a long-term vision, but the continuity and their planning is so much better now than it was before. And and it just, it makes me think like, like they were, they, they wanted to play a long game, but they were forced to do the short game, you know, because like you said, like, yeah, they weren't even sure if, if, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was going to come back. And so, so yeah, uh, the the movies the movies for the most part I think have gotten better in quality, but but still I, that that first Iron Man and that first Thor movie dude, those are those are really good movies. Those are really good movies. Yeah, man. So all right, man. Anything cool. else? So yeah, what's what, your what list? else on your list? Is that it? No, that's that's it. Yeah. So that we've say plenty of Marvel films going around. So you hit me with yours, dude. All right, man. So I'm gonna try to blaze through these. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's it's a pretty long list, but uh, uh, I, I watched two new Netflix movies that have come out this year. Um, and uh, I only want to mention this because it's, it's just kind of funny. So you know, with the website Backseat Directors, I have a team of writers who review movies as well. And so uh, the first movie I saw was it's called called lost girls um and my writer who wrote the review for that he did not recommend it but i actually think that it's worth watching i'm not saying it's a great movie but uh our 
our recommendation scale for streaming movies, because this is not like a go to the theater movie, it's just streaming. Our, our recommendation scale is stream it or skip it. That's it. Either stream it or skip it. So he gave it a skip it. I say stream it for Lost Girls. Um, and then there was a new movie. It's a comedy starring Ed Helms. Um, you know, he's one of the main guys from Hangover uh, or in The Office. He plays Andy Bernard in The Office. But he uh, he stars in this new, it's kind of a cop comedy called Coffee and Kareem that came out on Netflix a couple weeks ago. But my writer gave it a stream it and I hated this movie. <laughs> I could not stand this movie. So just, it, you know, that's how it goes, man. You know, people, we enjoy certain movies that are, you know, appeal to someone, but maybe don't appeal to us. But um, and then I also watched Hangover. So speaking of Ed Helms, I watched Hangover for the first time. So Hangover is streaming on Netflix here in the U.S. And my wife had never seen it. We're like, hey, let's watch it. We've never seen it before. I know. I, I mean, this is widely considered like kind of almost already a classic comedy. But um, um, I didn't like it. I honestly. What? I, I, I honestly just it's it's a type of humor. I love Zach Galifianakis. And I, you and I, we've talked about, um, you know, between two ferns. Um, and so I enjoyed Zach Galifianakis and there are elements of the movie that I thought were funny, but I don't know, man, for the, the amount of praise that this movie gets, I was pretty disappointed. Like I, it just, it, it was okay. It was okay. I, I wasn't, I impressed. think you've watched <laughs> it at the, at the wrong time. I, it, Maybe. Was a, <laughs> it was more great. It's, it's more groundbreaking. So at that time it was very groundbreaking. I think if you'd have watched it when it came out and been a part of that kind of hype and stuff around it. Yeah. You then, when you rewatch it, you have, you can recall of those feelings because I can understand what you mean. When I watch it again now, I'm like, I really, I, I, I really like the film. I'm a big, big Todd Phillips fan, but I, I know, I know what you mean. It's not like, it was like a record breaking like film, right? Yeah. It was like the highest grossing comedy at, at one point. Was it? Was it I'm, something I'm, like that? I'm or not something? sure. I mean, I just know, I just know, you know whether people are cinephiles or not i i know the movie is widely loved by many many people so <laughs> i was I mean, gonna watch that before we went to um before america when we went to vegas obviously but now i'm gonna put it on hold <laughs> to the end of the year <laughs> um i mean again there were some pretty funny moments of the movie but uh, as a whole it just for me it, it just didn't work for me but that's okay okay so we we ran through our Marvel list as well. We finished our entire Marvel movie marathon, which included Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, uh, Avengers Infinity War, Endgame, and then we ended with Spider-Man Far From Home. So um, I'm not going to talk about Endgame because that's our main topic of conversation, but what I just want to say as a whole for the movies that we watched, my overall impression of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that I, I feel like I've been overly critical of the movies. I think it, I, I experienced it in a very different way by sitting down and watching all of them, and especially watching them with my wife, who had, had only seen about half of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and yes, some of the, like, I, I really don't care for Captain Marvel. It, it's it, The movie as a whole, I just think it's pretty boring, and the characters really aren't compelling. I like Brie Larson as an actress, but she just doesn't. They're, they're, they're the, the type of charisma and cachet that I think these characters really require. I just don't think she has that. At least she doesn't bring that to the character. And so it kind of concerns me that, I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're shifting towards 
our pillars are now Spider-Man and Captain Marvel, maybe Black Panther, I guess. And I'm just like, I, if if our focus is Captain Marvel, man, that that's not a great <laughs> setup because I do not really care for that movie at all, at all. I mean, there again, like every movie kind of has stuff in it that you can enjoy, and 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 again, I don't think there are any terrible movies in the Marvel cinematic Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even though I'm not a fan of Captain Marvel, I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just, it just. It's it's probably my least favorite, honestly, out of all the movies. So I agree. I agree. I'd watch Iron Man three, um, over over that. That's my my least least least. I don't. I want I, I think it's a bad film personally. I don't. I don't like it at all. Um, but I I really think Brie Larson's, um, character is boring. I I I really don't like this kind of she's the most powerful Avenger thing that they're clearly quite pushing in it. Like Thor was obviously the most powerful Avenger before her, um, but it was never really portrayed like that. Especially in the scene with Avengers, where you see Iron Man fight him, and then Captain America comes to break it up. It still felt like there was a level of equalness between them, even right. though Thor, you got that impression he was a god, he was mega. But with Captain Marvel, it it seems too clear that they're trying oh, to make oh, a point that she's the best yeah like but what's funny though and my wife kept bringing it up in every single movie that we watch it, it there's there's no continuity in in what power and abilities superheroes have and when they can do it and when they can't and one of the things that she brought up because she she's like how how is captain marvel so powerful and how can she do these things and yet when she's actually in direct conflict with thanos uh, in Endgame, it's like her abilities are all of a sudden. It, it's just there, there, there really are these like, okay, what can our superheroes do? What can they not do? Clearly, yes, like they're trying to show that Captain Marvel's abilities are almost limitless, which is kind of weird. Like, like you would almost think like she and Scarlet Witch should be on the same level. Both of them have abilities that were given to them by the Infinity Stones. I think. Uh, Scarlet Witch got her inf- uh, power from the Reality Stone, and then you learned that Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers got hers from the Tesseract. But but Captain Marvel is like, I can freaking fly and go into outer space, and like, <laughs> like yeah. Anyway, anyway. So, um, but what I want to say though, as a whole, I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is it's an incredible achievement. We've said this before. It really is unprecedented what they were able to accomplish uh, within these 22 movies. Um, there's there is a lot to critique about the movies, but gosh, there is a lot to enjoy. And I think, I think really having this time, you know, during our self quarantines to just sit down and watch them all has been. It's been a really enjoyable moment, especially sitting down and watching them with my wife, who had only seen about half of them. But what I learned, what I learned is uh, usually movies that I didn't like as much. I ended up liking a little bit more and maybe movies that I thought were incredible or like, uh, maybe that's not as good as I thought. And so there's just kind of like this middle road of like, yeah, like for the most part, the MCU is good. Like it's just, it's pretty good, you know? Um, and so like, I, I was not a big fan of far from home when it came out. I definitely liked it a lot more when (laughs) I watched it a second time. I, I enjoy, I enjoy Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I think he really, really works as Spider-Man. Yes. Like, like you know Zendaya as MJ but not really being MJ she's kind of like a weird different version of what MJ is like that that's all different and weird but um anyway anyway so 
Okay, so after the Marvel Cinematic Universe, here are some of the movies that we have seen. Uh, we watched, <laughs> this was my wife's choice, but uh, uh, the 2007 movie called Nancy Drew. It's just based off of uh, some fairly popular... Uh, is that what Julia Roberts is? Yes. Cousin, yeah. Yes, yeah. I don't yeah. remember her name, but niece. yes, it's it's the niece of Julia Roberts. Yeah. Um, it, you know, just, it's kind of like a kid's movie, but I, I get it was fairly nostalgic for my wife i guess she read the books and stuff we watched that um we watched uh it was our anniversary last week and we've kind of been planning this uh we wanted to get uh indian food takeout some you know good curry and stuff like that um and we watched a movie called the hundred foot uh the hundred foot journey um the only actor i think that you would probably uh, at least know or recognize in the movie is helen mirren um but have you seen the movie no, it's I pretty good. I don't even recall it. No, it's pretty good. Uh, I think it came out maybe five or six years ago. Um, but the premise of the movie is uh, there. There is this Indian family that has to relocate out of India. They end up moving to France. Uh, they end up buying this rundown restaurant and they open up an Indian food restaurant. But it's across the street uh, from a Michelin star French restaurant, and and so there's a lot of. There's a lot of conflict between the two families and the people that run the restaurants. Um, but essentially, the son, who is the main cook at the Indian uh, restaurant, he is actually an incredible chef, and he gets hired by the Michelin star restaurant. So it's it's very good. If And I think I think because I know you're a big fan of Indian food and stuff like that, um, it, it was fun. We just ordered some Indian takeout. You know, we got some um, tiki masala and some other stuff, and then... Uh, and just sat down and watched that movie, so that was cool. Um, we watched. I, we're not going to spend too much time on it because I know you hate this movie, but dude, I swear I love this movie and I enjoy it every time I watch it. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, uh, dude. Honestly, man, top three favorite Guy Ritchie movies. I love that movie. I love Charlie Hunnam in it. I love the story. I love the music. It works for me on every level. <laughs> on every level, it works for me, and it. It bums me out so bad that we're not going to get a sequel. What's crazy to me is that, and, and I don't blame, I don't blame Guy Ritchie. I blame Warner Brothers and the people that finance this movie. This movie costs almost two hundred million dollars to make, and and it didn't even gross two hundred million. They lost almost a hundred million dollars on this movie after all the advertising and marketing. They they had a six movie saga planned for these movies. Like Charlie Hunnam was going to be King Arthur in six movies and we're likely not even going to get a second one. So dude, I, dude, <laughs> you're killing me, man. Look, I, I just, for me, it works. I think one of the things that I love the most is I, I love the different takes that he, this is, this is a well-known story and legend among many people, not just people in the UK. And I know this is a widely loved and, and cherished legend for those in the UK, but it's been done so many times before. It, it, we have so many different versions of this. And this was new and fresh. And I thought it it was a way to revitalize something that we're very familiar with. And the coolest part, man, the coolest part. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen this. But Eric Bana plays um, Uther Pendragon, who is the father of King Arthur. But he is the freaking stone. That part, when you find out that the stone is his dad, 
Oh, dude, I love it, man. The movie works for me. It just does. It just does. I'll let you say what. I think it had. I think it had potential. Don't get me wrong. I think Charlie Hunnam is an (laughs) is an awful actor. I'm sorry. What? Oh Um, my gosh. And the CGI, man. The CGI is so bad. When he gets the sword and starts like fighting with it, it is just an absolute mess. I'm like, I don't even. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know what he's doing. He's just gone. It's like a. Like a computer game that a kid's controlling and they're just pressing all the buttons. Like <laughs> they, that's how I see it, and like it's not even of good quality. Dude, my only bits I liked about it was the score is amazing. The score is so, is really amazing. really amazing. Yeah, like the score is really good. I liked um, I like Jude Law. I think he's good in it. Yeah, I think yeah. he could have been. A, uh, he was a good villain, even though he turned into some weird CGI thing at the end, which was strange. Um, but he was. He was a good villain um, throughout, um, and I, I, I thought the concept of it was good. I liked the modernized, moderniz- um, modernizing it of it, um, and I liked Guy Ritchie, and I think a lot of the filming of it was good. But it was just, it just, it just felt really, really flat. There was some really bits in it where I just felt were just generally awful. Charlie Hunnam being a main point. Oh, dude, Charlie Hunnam is like my favorite part of the movie. You know what my wife said to me? She said, you know, I know they're trying to find a new James Bond. I wonder if Charlie Hunnam, it could be the new James Bond. I was like, yeah, I'm totally down for that. Oh, God. (laughs) I swear, man, I love Charlie Hunnam. But have you, did you not see Guy Ritchie's new movie, The Gentleman? No, I missed that one. I really wanted to check it out, but I missed that one. You got to watch it. Yeah, you got to see it. Yeah. He's actually, yeah, because he's got a proper actor is the lead in that in that film matthew matthew Honecker oh, is kind of the lead right okay but charlie hunnam charlie hunnam is uh, he, i mean he's a, a one of the main supporting actors in it he's very good um but yeah no matthew matthew mcconaughey's really good in it. it's it's a fun movie it's just kind of old school guy richie just kind of one of those caper films you know british underworld it's really good it's really good okay no yeah. I, i'm gonna try to get through these again um so the, the last two days and i'm saving my favorite for last though the last two days we we watched a couple brad pitt movies and i it gosh dude it just made these movies made me really appreciate brad pitt in ways that i i feel like i've never i've never kind of just you know brad pitt he's always he's he's been a prominent actor for decades and you know i widely considered one of the most attractive actors you know of the last 30 40 years but we watched world war z and then once upon a time in hollywood world war z great pandemic movie you know just come with a zombie twist i think it's more of a pandemic movie than it is a zombie movie really good brad pitt excels in that movie i've always heard rumbling uh, rumblings that they might make a sequel if they do i would love to see it uh and i hope brad pitt stars in it again but then once upon a time in hollywood dude i don't know if you saw this movie but dude i it it, it actually it bums me out that this is not the movie that didn't win best best picture i think between 1917 and once upon a time in hollywood these were by far the best movies I know Parasite is good. I know it's it's a very good movie, but gosh, man, dude, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is fantastic. It's maybe my favorite, my fa- favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. It's so good. And Brad, I've not, not seen it yet. Oh my I don't gosh, like, I don't dude. like Tarantino. It's I, I, so, I really, really don't like him. It's so good. You wait. Do you say you do like Brad Pitt? Oh no, I love Brad Pitt. I don't like Tarantino. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, like... we'll have to do a Tarantino. That's weird, actually, you just reminded me, a film I've missed off my, my list, actually, was um, Interview of a Vampire. 
That's weird, actually. That's one I missed. I missed. Yeah, dude, no, that's actually one that I have. I haven't seen yet. I've never seen that movie. It's weird, weird as hell. He's yeah, young. That, so. He's really young yeah. in that movie. Isn't the he? only film him and the only film him and Tom Cruise star together in. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's mad, right? They've kind of come up together. They're they're roughly around the same age. They're both in their fifties. Yeah, they 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 were the the, the tippy top of the A list list throughout the nineties and early noughties, I think, and eighties, eighties and nineties maybe more. Like they were like. They come up together, but they also were the top two of the A-list, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people would agree that from that 80s, 90s era, Brad Pitt, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise yeah. led, led the way. Yeah, no, I, I just I, I'm really, really impressed with with his with his talent, with his abilities. Watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's it's unlike any Tarantino movie. It, it It's really just it's his it's his love letter to Hollywood. That's what everybody calls it. But it's true because he just he takes a very historical event like the Manson family murders, something horrific that happened in you know history, the summer of sixty nine. Um, but he he takes it's just these moments in the day to day life of people in Hollywood, you know, actors who are struggling or toward the end of their careers trying to revive find themselves again, stuntman that you know we don't get enough credit for what we do, and it dude, it's so good, it's so good. Watch it and then we can talk about it, but. Okay, the last movie that I want to mention on the list is um, last week, or two weeks ago, I think, uh, was the 30-year anniversary of the release of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And yeah. and so, uh, yeah, so we, we watched that movie, ordered some pizza, had a good time. Um, dude, this pizza, movie... Pizza, fitting. It, very fitting. And we ordered Domino's, because that's, the, that's the, uh, the pizza company here in the U.S. that they... Is Domino's good over there? So, I, mean, I get a lot of not, a lot it's of not my favorite. Uh, so I mean it, it's it's decent uh, takeout. You know, it's just delivery pizza. You know, it's not like going to a, a, a like a legit New York pizza, you know, joint. But um, but, that, but that's but that's, but that's funny. My brother talks a lot about how takeaways that are here are rubbish over there. Like he's like rubbish. So like Domino's, like Subway, KFC over in america are like are nothing compared to domino's oh really KFC and stuff here <laughs> that's funny like, I, yeah i could yeah, i is... couldn't say i mean i don't really eat at kfc or subway and i rarely ever order domino's but um but we did because that's what they order in the movie so you know that scene where the the delivery guy comes on his little his little scooter and the turtles are down in the sewer and he says slip it down here and the guy's you know hands him a piece of pizza into the sewer it's domino's so we had to order domino's all right cool. but dude I, this is what i just want to say about this movie this movie for me as a child probably influenced me more than any other movie i didn't get into star wars until i was a little bit older you know maybe 10 11 12 years old but as a kid the teenage mutant ninja turtle movie was my obsession like dude even now i can i can almost quote the movie like line for line like and it's so nostalgic. It brings back so many memories for me, and and what's what's crazy is even into my adulthood, um, I think this this by far and away is the best Ninja Turtle movie ever made. We've had five live action movies, two of them more recently from the just awful Michael Bay ones. I I don't even know what you can call those. They those one full on CGI turtles. I, I just I did not enjoy those movies, but. But what what's what really stuck out to me though is that the the Ninja Turtles are played uh, by actors in suits and costumes designed by the Jim Henson Creature uh, uh, Company, 
you know, just you know, Jim Henson, who has had their hand. Well, I mean, Jim Jim Henson himself, he actually died a year after the movie was made. Um, but his company, you know, obviously they're known for the Muppets, but you know, stuff like the eighties movies like Labyrinth or the dark crystal, you know, just really iconic films, um, that, that were, that came to life from the puppeteering and costumes that he was able to make. And, and I think, I think these suits and these costumes for as, as dated as they are, look so much better than any CGI that we've had since. And so I, I, you know when these movies eventually get remade because I know they will. That this is just money that's to be had. But um, these are my two requests. One, if if they do use CGI, don't go full CGI. Make some real suits. Make some real suits and add CGI where needed. And two, these movies need to be set in the eighties. Don't bring them into modern day. Make these 80s movies like in Stranger Things. Put Ninja Turtles back in the 1980s where they came from. I think that's where it would excel. I think the there's so much potential for these movies, but dude, I and don't and don't show us who Shredder is either. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Why did they do that? That was like for me that that was the epitome for me in regards to them not understanding Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, when you saw who Shredder was, like, within, like, the first 10 minutes of the film, I think it is. From like, the Michael Bay no movies? Around his car- Sorry? From the Michael Bay movies? Yeah, from the oh, Michael yeah. Bay yeah, movies. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, from my understanding, like, that just shows, when I watched it, I was like, you just don't get this. You don't, you, you don't understand the, the heart and the actual, what the film is about. It's not just about aesthetics. It's not just about what it looks like. It's about what it feels like and what... And they didn't get it. And as soon as they revealed Shredder in it, I was like, uh, you, "You've done no real research or real actual understanding of what's what's go what's going on and what it's meant about." And that that was things. So yeah, like keep a mystery. If you just don't hire someone that's famous just so they can show their face, because like, oh, they're famous. Just get someone else in there who's good at martial arts or something. And because that's what I loved about it. It's like I loved how like the turtles had to be together to beat Shredder. Like that's how the point was. Together they are one superhero who's just as good as Shredder is by himself. Right. Like, maybe just a tad better so they could, like, beat him. And that's what I loved about it, and they just they just didn't get that in the new films. Yeah, and, and, and dude, if I mean, if you go back and watch, uh, you know, this original movie again, um, uh, the themes, I think the themes of the movie are, are what really stand out, and I think that's why the movie, even in my adulthood, really works for me still, is because, because of the sense of realism. Shredder you know, this fictional, you know, comic book character that's like decked out in like all these like crazy, you know, spikes and, you know, gear and whatever. But the the way that he creates his following in his foot clan, he takes these, these wayward teenagers, you know, who are struggling and, you know, you know, living on the street and he creates a sense of family for them, you know, and, and that's how he creates the foot clan. You know, so all these troubled teens that have like troubled family lives or home lives or whatever. And, but 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 then the wisdom of Splinter and like and when Splinter is talking to some of these teenagers that go to him when he's captured and just like, you know, talking about I think one of the lines was how can a face so young uh, wear so much burden? Just like some really deep like good stuff that connects to people like like especially I just think uh, as a kid like I, I know people say like oh the movies the, that original movie is too violent for kids like and they ended up really toning it down and the sequels but like that's what even as a kid that's what pulled me in like 
Those, those are the themes. This is like the sense of brotherhood between the turtles, the bickering, the fighting between Leonardo and Raphael. Like that, that is real. That's what we want to see. That's what I want to see, man. Oh, the movie's so good. But anyway, anyway. Um, all right, man. Th- those are my movies. Um, we've we've got still a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead. Um, the, the just a bit of news that I just wanted to mention. This came out just last night. We're recording Monday morning. Uh, it's April thirteenth, but. Um, Apparently, Bob Iger, who just recently retired and stepped down as CEO of Disney, is now taking back his role as CEO of Disney. Um, An an article from the New York Times broke, essentially uh, announcing this. Uh, Bob Paycheck was his successor. He was the the replacement CEO for Bob Iger. Um, But Paycheck has now been removed, and Bob Iger is now back as CEO uh, obviously, this has a lot to do with the current pandemic of coronavirus. A lot of the issues that have uh, really, really impacted the industry, specifically Walt Disney. All of their parks are closed. Movie theaters are closed. Productions are halted. No movies, new movies are coming out. And and so in this time of crisis, they turned to the man who really got them to where they were, and that was Bob Iger. And so... Um, what what does this mean? I'm not really sure. You know how how long is he going to stay in the role of CEO? I don't really know. There's not much detail in the article other than that he is now CEO. But that I guess the plan is to kind of maybe streamline things. Things are going to be very different at Disney. They talked about uh, downsizing their employee force, so they're going to have fewer employees. Um, you know, but that's all I just want to announce to to our listeners. Bob Iger is now the CEO again of Disney. Do you have any thoughts on this, Ryan? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a fairly logical thing to to do. Um, obviously, we discussed um, this outside of the podcast about how people have been seeing it and what does this mean and um, a lot of things behind it. But I think people need to take their emotion out of it, and I don't feel it's uh, spite on Chapek. I don't think it's any sort of malicious way, or there's any um, any sort of rumors of malpractice or anything going on in this process i just think it just they're going through such one of the worst times in disney history now like their stock price absolutely plummeted i remember reading how apple apple could have bought them if they wanted like apple their stock price dropped that much that if apple wanted to get into that industry and buy them they could have had a hostile takeover like that's ridiculous like disney found himself in such a bad situation and as a company you you have the man who is still working for the company in charge who has taken Disney to to new heights and you've just put in a new CEO and he's having to tackle one of the difficult is situations they're ever going through it just as a business they it just made logical sense so i think people need to take emotion out of it i don't think there's anything bad going on in the background it just makes sense to get the guy who's ran the company for 40 years is it 40 years I think it's forty years, right? Something like that. Um, he's he's been with Disney. I know at least since the eighties. He's been with Disney. Yeah, yeah. so he's been with him. Sorry for yeah, forty years. Yeah. So, so he knows that company. In he's known that company inside out. He's got two heights. They're in the worst situation ever. Like anyone in that situation, like the board or anything, would make this decision of let's just get this guy back in to just keep the ship afloat until we're back out of it and we'll reevaluate the situation once we're back out of it it just makes logical sense and i don't understand why people would look at this in any other way than this is the guy who's done the best job ever for disney he knows the company inside out he is the man to be able to get disney out of the situation that they're in 
simple. It's, it's that simple for me. Yeah, let me. I'm just going to read these two paragraphs, and then you know we can close this this topic of conversation. But it says, and then again, this is the New York Times article uh, titled "Bob Iger thought he was leaving on top. Now he's fighting for Disney's life." Um, this is toward the end of the article. And it says, Mr. Iger also sees this as a moment he has told associates to look across the business and permanently change how it operates. He's told them that he anticipates ending expensive old school television practices like advertising upfronts and producing pilots for programs that may never air. Disney is also likely to reopen with less office space. He's also told two people that he anticipated the company having fewer employees. But in parentheses, it says Mr. Iger said in an email on Sunday evening that he had no recollection of ever having said that he expected a smaller workforce. Regardless, any decision about staff reductions will be made by my successor and not by me, said Iger. Uh, And Disney's endless troublesome question of succession, which had finally for a couple weeks seemed settled, may be open again. One person close to the company said Mr. Iger assured Mr. Chapek that the extraordinary circumstances would be taken into consideration in the board's evaluation of Mr. Chapek's performance. But in reality, two hard, unpredictable years will determine if he can hold the job. Two other executives who were passed over from uh, Mr. Chapek, Kevin Mayer and Peter Rice, remain at the company. No one knows when Americans will go to the movies again, much less on cruise ships. So... Um, so yeah, so we'll, you know, again, er, dude, everything is fluid right now. There's so much unknown. Uh, No one really knows when the U S economy is really going to be able to get back to work. Um, you know, obviously so many people have been affected by this. Your trip again is likely still not going to happen. At least you might push it back till later this year. But I, I do think, I do think, you know, um, Having having Bob Iger, who is a seasoned, seasoned, experienced CEO at Disney, is in the company's best interest, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, yeah. Okay, man. So, yeah, that's just a bit of news. Um, let's get on with our main topic. We just wanted to talk about Avengers Endgame. So, this all kind of happened a couple weeks ago when, <laughs> or three weeks ago now, I think, when um, uh, the Batman versus Superman uh, rewatch with with uh, Zack Snyder occurred and uh, anytime anytime Twitter is just just going crazy with you know the hashtag release the Snyder cut or things are trending you know in favor of uh, BVS and like Zack Snyder's DCEU and stuff like that there's always this kind of uh, this conflict between Marvel fans and DC fans and I think it bugs Marvel fans that for the most part, because of how well organized supporters of of Zack Snyder and the release of Snyder Cut movement are, those things trend a lot, a lot more often than do Marvel things. You know, Marvel things trend when new movies come out. Not four years later, we're talking about the same movie, and so um, it kind of sparked a lot of a lot of new interest and and discussion about. Uh, uh, Avengers Endgame and then someone someone on Twitter posted an audio clip that he had recorded in the premiere of Avengers Endgame last year when it came out and he just recorded it and and, and played it to the scene of of those really iconic moments in Avengers Endgame and again listeners we're going to talk full on spoilers this movie's almost a year old likely everyone almost everyone in the world has seen this movie already but anyway if you haven't seen it maybe go watch it then turn this podcast back on but yeah, you know, different moments started sparking a lot of conversation online about Avengers Endgame, and I just recently watched it. I know you're building up to it, but I just thought, you know, maybe this is this would be a good topic to to cover right now. So, um, 
I tweeted out kind of all my thoughts uh, during the movie at certain moments and stuff like that, and I thought we could kind of run through this, and we could just maybe discuss some of these things, all right? Sound good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, so Avengers, Avengers Endgame, uh, the highest grossing movie of all time, um, you know, finally took the number one spot over Avatar. Uh, gosh, it's, it's going to be a long time, I think, before anything outdoes Avengers Endgame. I mean, Marvel Studios won't ever be able to outdo Avengers Endgame. I just, it, it was such, it was such a worldwide phenomenon and had so much momentum at the movie theaters that I, I, I just, it's going to be so hard for any movie to beat it. But um, my preference between, well, my favorite Avengers movie is actually Infinity War. I think I, I enjoy that movie a lot more. I think they're able to handle the collection of characters uh, much better in that movie, but after seeing Avengers Endgame for the first time since I've seen it in theaters uh, just last week, I really enjoyed this movie. Just give me your overall thoughts on the movie and what you remember about it since I, I guess the last time you saw it was in theaters as well. Yes, um, I saw the extended cut, even though it wasn't really, uh, even though it wasn't really extended. It was just an additionally few bits added to the uh, to the end of the picture. <laughs> but um, no, I I really enjoyed the film. I'm in the same same boat as you. As I think, Infinity War is a is a better film from beginning to end as an and as an all round concept um, and storytelling. But um, and End Game's more moments of greatness. But as an overall film, not as not as solid. Um, but I enjoy, I enjoy it a lot. I enjoy the fact that the uh, our, our original trio are a lot more together in this um, than they are in Infinity War, and there's lots of moments in it that are that are genuinely breathtaking and and bring me to almost tears because it it's it's so impactful. Um, so no, I'm I'm a big big fan of, of Endgame, just not as much as as Infinity War, and I agree with you that I think Infinity War is my favorite um, Avengers film now, as the original Avengers is kind of it's kind of dated a bit and not as well as I'd like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's some things that, that stuck out to me, uh, stuck out to me this time, things that I just kind of noticed, um, just details that, that before, um, I, I hadn't, I hadn't paid attention to, but, um, I really enjoy Nebula as a character in the movie. Uh, I think she's, she's just kind of used as just kind of a plot device and just kind of a way to move the story forward in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but she's, she's pretty important in, in Avengers Endgame and, and uh, when you see her in the beginning, kind of the beginning 10 minutes of the movie, when it's just her and Tony in the spaceship, you know, and Tony's Tony's dying. You know, he's starving. He's super skinny and stuff like that. But uh, there's just some moments between them that I really enjoy. Um, but uh, that that's something that kind of stuck out to me. One of the things that I thought about uh, as well when when Tony and everybody gets back to uh, to Earth and then they find out where Thanos is, they go... They take this. They fix the spaceship, and then they go to kill Thanos, essentially. Um, but there's a moment when they're in outer space, and Rocket, who's piloting the ship, says, "Okay, who hasn't been to space?" And Captain America is one of the persons that raises his arm and says, "I've never been to space," you know. And then it sh- as they're entering kind of their hyperspace or or their light speed, whatever, how they travel, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it it does a close up on Steve Rogers' eyes and just kind of this new excitement that he's experiencing because out of everything that he's experienced, you know, he's a super soldier. He experienced world war two frozen in the ice, skipped decades. And now he's in the modern century, you know, all these other battles that he's gone through. The one thing that he's never done is he's never been to space. 
you know? And so uh, this moment, this moment where it just kind of does a close up on his eyes, is just like, Oh wow, this is actually really cool for him. Like he's ne- everything that he's done. He's never been to space, but that's, that's just another moment that kind of stuck out to me. But, um, and dude, add, add any commentary that you want to, well, I think these, with during, during this part, one of the, one of the bits that stung out for me during kind of this segment of the film, um, I remember watching it and like I just said, those bits that kind of almost brought me to tears when, um, when when Captain Marvel lands on that ship and Tony comes out of it and um and then he he, he greets um he greets Cap mm. and then he says he's like I, I lost him I I lost the boy and like for me like he says something like that doesn't he, he says I, I, I can't save kid. him I, I say, lost the kid yeah I lost the kid that's yeah. it yeah like yeah. that straight up for me I was like oh god straight away do you know what I mean that really like that was one of the the most moments where I had kind of that peak of level of emotion during during that part it was. It was a big part, but no, I agree with what you're saying about the space bit as well. Like Captain America is such a pivotal character in this film, and and I really love that because he's he's my favorite character within the within the uh, MCU. Yeah, and just kind of going back to that, I I kind of did skip over that conversation. I know you and I brought it up on a previous episode, but um, but yeah, like th- this is the first time Tony and and Steve have seen each other since their conflict in Civil War. They haven't seen each other since, and now it's the the entire world has changed you know the entire universe has changed mm. and they lost they lost but see you but they would do that to, you said they would do that together yeah yeah exactly That's yeah and tony so tony easy. still tony still he's still kind of holding on to his older ideology of you know putting a suit of armor around the world you know that that's how they were going to be able to defend against thanos but um um, you know, so they still, you know, they're, they're such, they're such two different personalities and yet, you know, they have to work on the same team. But now I, I, yeah. I really, really enjoyed those dynamics still. Uh, I joined him in the previous movies, really enjoy him in this one as well. Um, so now we're kind of, I'm kind of jumping ahead, you know, one of the things that really bugs me is how Ant-Man is a pivotal character in this because they're able to use Ant-Man and Hank's Pym technology to travel back in time because time travel is how they're going to be able to undo everything that Thanos did. Um, but, but in um, Ant-Man and Wasp at the end, he's stuck in the quantum realm. That's how the movie ends. He's stuck in the quantum realm in how does he escape? It's a freaking rat that accidentally pushes a button in his van. Like that's, that's how without Ant-Man, they wouldn't have been able to do this. And Ant-Man would have been stuck in the quantum realm forever and how does he come out? A uh, rat pushes the button on accident because he's just climbing in his van. Like I, I that part just it. You gotta think of something better than that, man. Could think of something better than a rat accidentally letting you out of the quantum realm. Did that bug you at all? It's it still bugs me to this day. I think it's just that massive. It's just a massive coincidence, and you'd and you'd like to think that get because Ant Man Two is surrounded with such a big story of getting. Um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character out, and the and in Ant Man One, it's such a big deal of getting stuck in there and everything. This is made such a big deal about the quantum realm that it all it takes is an ant just a and an ant a, a a rat just to pop over, press a button, and out pops out pops Ant Man. So I agree that it again it's it's that continuity thing where it kind of lacks a little bit. But in the grand scheme of things, like it, it didn't bother me too much. But I, I agree it. it is it's poor it is poor uh, storytelling yeah it just it it, it... <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna harp on it too much but that was just one of the things that bugged me but this leads me right into my one of my 
biggest, biggest critiques of the movie, and that is the concept of time travel. Okay, so in Avengers Endgame, they they undo everything that has been portrayed as time travel in in Hollywood history. I think you know, and they even reference Back to the Future, but I think Back to the Future kind of set set the kind of the standard for all uh, all time travel movies that have ever come out of Hollywood and that whatever you do in the past will have a direct impact on the future. Well, they totally change that and they even tell you in Avengers Endgame, no, you can't change the future by changing the past. Um and so so for me, it's I'm still having trouble getting around the idea of what they are trying to do and how changing the past doesn't change the future. Um, they can only undo the future by taking the stones from the past and bringing them to the future. But um, I've kind of harped on this before, so I don't want to linger too much about this. But what what is your opinion of time travel in Avengers Endgame? I agree with you in that they they introduce something quite different to what people are aware of, and then it's it's not really fleshed out massively as maybe as much as it should be because the way what they've introduced not only is new but it's it's far more complex than say something in back to the future um so i agree it didn't bother me too much i think i understood it um the scene between um uh, the ancient one and bruce it gives you a really good understanding of how it operates so it didn't it didn't bother me too much but i agree that it's again it's a very complex thing that's been glossed over again so similar to kind of that rat situation where it's it's complex and it's glossed over and you just kind of got to accept it for what it is but there is questions that come from it that they they don't really answer and you might you might be able to find bits in it that kind of answers it but not answers it enough for you to go okay i get what's going on here yeah yeah and and i think you know, and we've had a lot of conversations with our own movie friends online. You know, here's looking at you, the formal review. <laughs> Who for him to this time travel works perfectly. There's no issues with it in the movie. Um, but um, it, it's, I, I think that's that was my biggest challenge is because it does undo everything that has been set before and any type of, um, you know, uh, whether it's TV or movies or whatever, how we're used to understanding time travel. It's, it's, it's science, it's a science fiction, um, um, uh, thing anyway. I mean, time travel doesn't exist. And so these are things that we have to speculate or hypothesize about. And so, yes, saying that it's going to be different from them, what we're used to seeing that's fine. I just wish, I, I wish they were able to do it in a way that wasn't, it was kind of just, it was kind of played off for laughs too. Like you have, you have war machine that's there and he's like, Oh, so you're telling me that Back to the Future and this and this and this. And he just lists all the movies, all the movies that have anything to do with time travel that we are used to and familiar with, they, that they don't mean anything. And and Tony, Tony himself, you know, he, he kind of makes fun of Ant-Man saying, like, are, are you saying that your entire, you know, theory of time travel is based off of Back to the Future? You know, just like, okay, so yes, yeah, so we get it, like... Like you're kind of making fun of us as well as viewers because that's what we're used to. But help us understand a little bit better. Go into more detail. Like this is such an intricate part of the story. Like don't just gloss over it. Like you got to help yeah, us yeah. understand how it works. But anyway, anyway, that's that's one of my biggest issues with the movie. But I've I've come around to trying to understand it a little bit more. So, um, okay. 
one more critique, one more critique, and then we'll, and, uh, I'll start bringing up a lot of the things that I really enjoy about the movie. But Fat Thor, I think, was uh, another widely criticized uh, um, part of the movie. What is your take on Fat Thor? My take on th- Fat Thor, I was going to say like Fat Thor then, Fat Thor <laughs> is like a it's like a roller coaster. I really didn't like it when I originally saw it. I thought that I really enjoyed Thor being this very masculine, very perfect type human being. That's what his character is and has always has been. Um, so I was very shocked that they made him look very silly and I don't think his fat suit looked particularly convincing either. He kind of was fat but still muscly. It was very it was very weird. Um, yeah, he needed to pull a Christian be- Bale and actually gain weight. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, yeah, and then... Yeah, exactly. They, they it could have been better done, but so that also kind of threw me off a little bit. But then they they then just they were going down this route, which I really appreciate. Cause it's a big thing this, in this world of kind of that level of like depression and anxiety. It's it's becoming more and more in this world, and they're wanting to impose it onto a character that, like, say, is almost perfect and not scared of anything. Um, and I, and then that's when I when I sort to see it in that front when I watched it again, I was like, okay, I. I like it. I like what they're doing. This this character that even the most perfect of human beings can suffer from this thing. And I think for people going through stuff like that could relate to it a lot more and, and maybe be inspired a bit more that you can come out the other end with it. Um, and these what those films should do. So I liked it again, kind of a bit more. But then I went back down again to think, ah, but now you, every scene of him was just a joke. Yeah. Up until he meets his mum. Right. Every scene of it is a joke yeah. over a joke over a joke. Even to the point where there's a point where Rocket's like had a real heart to heart with him, and I'm like, okay, this is where it's going to get through because Rocket, Rocket's the comedy character, right? He doesn't do heart to hearts, right? Like, and then he actually has a heart to heart with him, and I'm like, cool, this is this is a really good scene now where you're showing a side of Rocket you've never seen before because he has like, and now he's he's going to help Thor be get over it. Nah, nah, joke. Nah, we're just gonna we're just gonna he's gonna run off and these like. And that's where I was like, oh, so then I felt, then it, so then I left it down a bit. So for me, it's just a bit like of an up and down. And I'd always have that issue where I, I wish that they, he turned back to normal Thor at the end because he looked a bit silly at the end, in my opinion. He looked, <laughs> he looked silly. Like they could have at least changed his attire that he wore or something, but it was like he was still wearing Thor's clothes, but they put a belly on it, and it just. It just didn't. It just didn't sit right. It didn't look right. Everyone knows what Chris Hemsworth looks like. It just, <laughs> so yeah, not not for me. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so I, I, it bugged me pretty bad when I first saw it in theaters. I've definitely grown around to understanding more of why it, it matters within the story, and I think what really bugged me is because of the growth that Thor has had over his movie arc, and that in Ragnarok he he becomes Thor without his weapons, you know. He 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 takes on the mantle of God of Thunder, you know, and and he really grows into his character. And then in in Infinity War, I mean, gosh, Thor is, essentially almost kills Thanos single handedly, you know, without the help of anybody. And yes, it it, it was with um, what what's the name of his axe? I forget what it's called. Um. I can't say something. I can't, for some reason, I keep thinking Star Destroyer, but that's a completely different film. It's something like that, isn't it? Something like Destroyer. It's something, uh, yeah. I, Mikey, Mikey would have this. If we have Mikey on the show now, you would know. Oh, Stormbreaker, away. Stormbreaker, Storm. Oh, that's it. Yeah, Stormbreaker. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
but but yeah, I mean, th- uh, you know, Thor, Thor, really, especially by the end of Infinity War, is like without a doubt, this guy is the he is the strongest Avenger. He he is like, a, you follow Thor into battle. Thor doesn't follow you. He is he is like the main dude, right? Um, and so yeah, I mean, he really really takes a step back in end game, and I think that's I I didn't want to see that. I I wanted to see Thor. And so again, yeah, I think it's kind of like in other areas where we see our heroes struggle. It's hard for us because we we don't want them to, you know, because uh, we we want them to do better so we can be inspired to do better. And so seeing Thor in that new light was um, it was hard. It was hard, but uh, I think yeah, I mean, between our conversations between you and I and our friends as well, I think I have come around to understanding why it it it, it does work. Maybe they didn't need to play it off so much as as many jokes there were some funny moments i one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when rocket says thor looks like melted ice cream i think that's pretty funny yeah. <laughs> um but no i i think it works i think it works but um okay so we could probably spend an hour talking about this movie let's uh, i'll try to go quicker through some of these the the main parts of the movie that for me Maybe didn't hit his home the first time I saw it, but I was totally wowed by and even moved to tears at some of these moments um, where our three main characters, Thor, Tony and Steve, they 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 get to they get to kind of um, they get their last moments. Thor gets his last moment with his mom. Tony gets his last moment with his dad. All these kind of unresolved issues that have been, you know, essentially kind of ghosts. They're just ghosts of their past. They they get these last moments. And I thought it was so fitting. My favorite moment of the whole movie is Thor reuniting with his mom. I love that scene so much. I think it works perfectly. I, I think I think it, it just, it, it it closes this, up, uh, this, um, um, this door that I've been, that's been open for so long because I thought I thought they just kind of threw away her character in Thor: The Dark World, but but now having seen this, I think it works so well. It works so well. And then Tony and his dad, them being able to talk, even though his dad doesn't know it's Tony. Like this is real closure for Tony because of how much kind of resentment he has hold toward his dad. You know, even after his death. But um, um, and then the last one, even though this isn't real true closure for for Steve, but it impacts his decision later in the movie to, to stay back in time. Um, but when he sees, he sees Peggy, when he goes back and there's this moment, it shows they're, they're only separated by glass windows, but the room that Steve is in isn't lit. So Peggy can't see him and he's just looking at her and it's just, it, dude, it's so gut wrenching and just like, Oh, you want Steve to be with Peggy because you know, that's the thing that he wants the most. It's the thing that he loves the most. And so, um, what did you think of these moments? I, I I just I absolutely loved them. I loved them so yeah, much. Yeah, I agree. I think they're good moments. I, everything you just said is exactly how I saw them. Um, I think the the Thor bit was the best with his with his mum personally. Um, when he because um, she says something really inspiring as well, which I think a lot of people take away. Which I need to rewatch again. But what did she say to him? She says something along the lines of like, "You don't like have to get everything right." She says something like that, doesn't she? And it's like, what? Do you remember what she says at all? Yeah, like, she. Um, I I can't remember word for word. Um, but she she reassured him that failing was okay. Like failing was a part of the journey. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly, and that and yeah. that was that was really good. I think out of all the scenes, 
that is something that people can kind of take away for themselves as well. And I really, and I really enjoy moments like that, like where that's why one of my favorite characters, I love Yoda. And it's like stuff that he says, isn't just good for the character. It's good for the audience as yes. well. Yes. I love moments like that. And I think yeah. that scene is, it's not just about, that's why I said like Thor's character is going for his depression and anxiety. And I think they really wanted that character kind of for people to relate to in this modern world. It's yes. like, it's such a big thing. So many people suffer from, these two things depression and anxiety and, and combined and that whole speech that she has with him is is really comforting for for thor but i think for, for people in the audience as well it's a it's a really touching moment yeah and then one of the lines that stuck out to me as well i wrote down the quote here but um it's a line that that tony's dad um taught him when he was younger but tony gives it to the younger version of his dad when he goes back in time but he says no amount of money ever bought a second of time and and I think it works perfectly, especially for Tony's characters, because uh, because he he is he is one of the wealthiest persons in the world. You know, he has literally every physical material possession that you could ever imagine, and yet and yet the thing that he is cherishing the most are these small moments of time that he has with his loved ones. You know, just it the, those those scenes work so well. And it, what's funny though, I mean, my wife saw these movies in the theater with me, and she, you know, she's said, oh, just whatever. It's superhero movies. But after having watched all the Marvel movies leading up to this, she was crying in all these scenes. <laughs> she was like legit crying. I was shocked. I really was surprised to see her just like moved so emotionally by by these scenes. And then, uh, um, uh, this is something I wanted to mention because just last week uh, it was actually uh, leaked online. The alternate, uh, alternate ending to how um, Black Widow died when they're when they're on Vormir and they go to get the Soul Stone, uh, the uh, an alternate ending of how that happened got leaked. Did you end up seeing that? Yeah, a lot, it was a lot more action driven, right? Yes, yeah, it was very chaotic. Um, Thanos knows that they're there, and he like he's coming, and his minions are there, and it's just Hawkeye and Black Widow that are fighting, and. You know, they at this moment they know that one of them needs to sacrifice themselves. But you know, Black Widow's like getting shot. You see like bullet holes coming through her, and she ends up just jumping off. Um, you know, while Black uh, Hawkeye is getting attacked, like mugged by all these these people. But um, so I, I wanted to bring this up because I'm curious to know which version that you you liked more. My opinion is I I, I still like the theatrical one more. I think it's more intimate. I think when Hawkeye is grabbing her, holding her from falling, and and she just looks at him, and just says like, "Let me go," you know, it, it's there. There's it's a really powerful moment that I think works really well. Um, but I can see why someone might like the alternate version. But what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think obviously the whole point of getting the um, the stone is is to to, to sacrifice, isn't it? It's, it's a sacrifice. Yep, a soul um, for a soul, and. Exactly, and it feels more in the original theatrical version that Hawkeye is sacrificing Black Widow, even though he doesn't want to. Obviously, it's let go. It feels more fitting to how the stone is uh, rewarded. Um, so, so yeah, that's and like I say, it's far more intimate. So, no, I I think the original version is is much better. Cool. There's plenty of action in in the film. That was more of an intimate moment which i which i enjoyed so okay so let's let's talk about let's talk about the the final conflict the final battle between thanos obviously you know we get our trio shot you know the the marvel's version of the trinity you have iron man thor and captain walking out together to confront thanos you know then we have the 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 battle ensue 
Um, they all three of them get a turn and kind of get a crack at Thanos, but Thanos is overpowering all three of them. And then you have the moment, the moment where Captain America is able to pick up Mjolnir or Thor's hammer. And uh, as we all know, the saying, you know, you have to be worthy in order to hold Thor's hammer. Um, what, what was your experience in theaters? I'm just curious to know what you thought of this the first time you saw it. Were you able to avoid spoilers before you saw it? And so like, was when you saw this happen in theater, what was your, your reaction? Yeah, it was a clean slate. And for me, it was, I think I reacted to it exactly how, um, the directors wanted. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't cheering in the cinema. That's not, that's not really an English thing. <laughs> that seems to happen a lot more in other countries. People in, Eng- in England don't cheer in films and stuff. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, no, for me, it was goosebumps amazing and not and not only that like the whole the whole fight sequence then afterwards is just i could watch it on repeat it i I, i've loved like i said earlier it's like the first adventure film feels more like an like an action film like he's more of an action hero than a superhero and you see in each film like captain america has has the best in my opinion growth of as a character but also with his abilities Mm -hmm. You see him get better and better and better and better and his abilities grow and him become more comfortable with his abilities. And then this was just the icing on the cake of just, this is how awesome he is. And if you gave Captain America powers like Thor's powers, something, he would, he, he kicks ass. He is the man. And it was so good. It just, it was, it was absolutely perfect. When Thor goes, like, I knew it. Like it just then goes back to um, Age of Ultron, where he sees him almost pick it up. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it was, it was so good. Honestly, it was, it was just, a, it was just. So, perfect, okay, so what chemistry. do you think? Uh, I think the filmmaker said, um, I don't know if it was uh, Whedon or if it's the Russo brothers, because that scene, you know, you in uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, you see, you see the hammer move ever so slightly, and they've gone back, and I think they said that. Captain America was being courteous to Thor. He didn't want to embarrass him by being able to pick it up. Um, but what, what what do you think? Do you think that's accurate? Do you think that's what I mean? You know, or are they just yeah, they're just trying so. to cover think, their tracks? I guess. I think so because it makes it would make no sense for Captain America to not be able to carry Thor's hammer. He's far more of a um, worthy of a better hero of yeah. a worthy hero. Yeah, yeah. worthy than Thor. Don't wrong. Like Thor, like sacrificed his life and stuff like that, and he became worthy. And I can understand why Tony maybe isn't so much. He probably would be now after he just sacrificed himself to save like the universe. But um, but Captain America is like the epitome. I if if Captain America is not worthy, then like who, who is? is? So for me, it make it makes sense. Like yeah, like it, for me, it it, may, it makes sense for that to be true. Whether or not yeah. they they wrote it at that time, none of us will ever know. But logically, it, it makes sense that he should be able to carry it. And you do see him move it. Like, he shouldn't be able to move it, period. You Like, he can't be, oh, you're kind of 5% worthy, so you can <laughs> move it by 5%. Like, come on, like, the shimmies it across the ground. So you do see him, like, move it. And, like, Thor sees him move it as well. And he's like, so I think it, it makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, And so I guess speaking of uh, Stormbreaker, Stormbreaker doesn't have that same uh, requirement. Anybody can... Because it, no, I remember Thanos, Thanos grabs when when Thor summons Stormbreaker. Thanos grabs it away from him. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's not a loads of people. Seems I saw a lot of people like moaning about this online. I got in a lot of conversations about like me and it has the has a curse put on it by um, Odin. By Odin, yeah. Like he has it. It's on it. But before it was, it's it was it was anyone could use it. It wasn't. It didn't have that curse put on it. Yeah. So. 
it doesn't mean that then any any weapon then that the thought uses thereafter carries it. He says even in this even in the saying he says like who shall carry this hammer will possess the power of thought. Right. Like it even says like hammer. I swear it does. Like correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he says like he even mentions the yes. word hammer yes. in the curse. Yes. Like so. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. it it's, I don't even know why it was even a conversation about um, Stormbreaker. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're, we're getting to the end. Um, obviously, uh, I, I'm going to skip over the girl power scene. We've had enough conversations online for that one, but uh, <laughs> um, but let's let's get to the the ending when Tony Tony now has the stones. You know, I think uh, um, this this ending I think was probably. There, there was no other way that they could end the movie. I think this was the most fitting way one to end to end the saga, but to also end Tony Stark's character. Uh, what are your thoughts about about the ending? You know, the snap, him saying "I am Iron Man." Like, do you, what, what did it all work for you? What do you think? Yeah, it was good. It was perfect, right? It was good. I, I, like, I, I, I am Iron I, Man. I is... think it was the perfect. It really was the perfect way to end all of it. It had to be Tony, right? It had to be Tony to, uh, yeah, like, oh, oh, dude, okay, bring up bring up what you said. You posted these on Twitter. I think this was brilliant, dude. Really oh, yeah. great callbacks so, on both Cap and, and Tony. Yeah, so obviously we, we, yeah, I posted this on Twitter if anyone's seen. Um, but um, there's a recall back again, whether or not they meant to do it or not. It still works really well in Avengers when they have their, their, their spat. Tony um, says to Captain America, everything's special about you came out of a bottle and he picks up Thor's hammer and that's got nothing to do with that's got nothing to do with the injections or anything Captain America's special and that's the reason why he was chosen to be a super soldier yes because he was special so Tony so essentially that counters Tony's argument but Steve Rogers' argument's also countered because Steve says to Tony that you're not the man to um to sacrifice yourself to lay down on the wire like and he is. He does. He he makes the ultimate sacrifice. He saves not just his fellow man next to him, but like the whole the whole universe. Um, so it's brilliant. It's just a really good. Whether or not they meant that, when every time now I watch Avengers, I'm like, that's awesome. I remember, and I've told Lauren that, and she's just like, yeah, I love that. That's so cool because it's because it is. It's it it's so much opposite to what they're saying. Tony makes yeah. a sacrifice, and everything. And Captain America is special because he can lift up that hammer. Whether or not he's had that injection or not, he would have been able to lift up that hammer. Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. The quote, and I'm reading your tweet right here. It, it, uh, Steve says to Tony, the only thing you really fight for is yourself. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. And uh, dude, it's brilliant, man. Really great callbacks. I, I I love that that you posted that. But uh, yeah, I mean, my, my opinion is it, it, this was the perfect way to end. It was the perfect way to end the Infinity Saga. It was the perfect way to kill off Thanos. It was the perfect way for Tony's character to you know, be summoned out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It just, it was done so well. I, I the, just... the only, the only thing that for me, you, you think it's fake, but I can't sit here. I'd, I'd have to be lying if I said so, because I had a bet before going in with another friend of mine who's a massive oh, comic reader. And I okay. said, yeah, yeah. I've had a bet that I thought that it would be Captain America that dies. We knew that someone would die. And I thought it'd be Captain America because I don't, I don't really like Captain America's um, ending. Oh, really? Personally. Oh, dude! I think no, it's I great, think... man. Oh, really? Even though the, oh, even though I like now that they send it back, but for me, Captain America can—he was never with those abilities that he's got and the trust that he was given. He was not going to be able to go back and just live 
the the simple life for me and and like and that's for me just it didn't make sense for me it would have made more sense for him to have sacrificed himself because that's like what he was like meant to do and that tony had his family to go back to and stuff like that and that him just going back and it, it's nice and it makes everyone feel good that captain america finally gets what he wants but it's not fitting with it's not fitting with his character because he just mm. wouldn't be able to just go back he says it he says it in civil war oh they, he's they, like yeah, i wish I... I could just ignore i wish i could just ignore um whatever he, he says i'm rubbish for quoting but he says i wish i could just ignore the bad things that go on and then, and then tony goes no, no you don't. don't and he goes no i don't yeah exactly like, he's like, i never, so he I gonna, never liked the bully yeah exactly and he wouldn't be able to go back in time and ignore the war because he would have been going back during the war as well or what you know what i mean like but he uh, just wouldn't uh, i mean but it's, I, there's going to be moments in years where there are two captain americas right i mean essentially isn't that how it works i mean yeah there would that definitely would have been but there would be a big period of time where he's gone back where there wouldn't have been a captain america but he would have been in his prime as well and he just wouldn't be able to sit back. Well, who laugh. knows? Who knows, man? Maybe he did. Maybe he he was Captain America in secret. <laughs> or maybe they might end up. They might do. Or yeah, they might end up. Chris Evans might end up coming back, and we might end up getting a Captain America. A Captain back America, in the, Vietnam, four uh, fifties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I totally get. I, 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 you, we, we were chatting. You know, just you and me and our friends online. We were chatting, kind of making bets on like, yeah, who. Who who was gonna die? You know, because some we knew that it it was not gonna end well for everyone. Like some one of the main characters was gonna die. We already knew that Chris uh, Chris Evans had said like he was done being Captain America, and so I think that's what sparked everybody going, "Oh my gosh, this this is his last movie. They're gonna kill him off." But um, I think I I think it had to be Iron Man because he was the first in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Tony. Tony was the foundation laid for these characters and and yeah and I I don't know I don't know I for me it worked but I get it I I think I think had you flip-flopped him I think it could have worked well as as well but but Iron Man has always he's just kind of been he's kind of been the main guy you know of he's like I mean I guess you can call him you know for DC you know you have Batman and Superman those are like your top 2 but like Iron Man is kind of he's just been like the main guy throughout all of it so um yeah, man. okay so uh, uh we've been talking about this for a while um you know i don't want to keep our listeners uh kind of going on for too much longer but it, anything else you want to add to avengers endgame i know you'll you'll be watching it here in a couple weeks once you're caught up but uh anything else you want to add no i think we've we've covered it a lot um yeah, it's good good film and the points that you've we've spoke about are are the real the real like hitting points of it of it I think you mentioned a little bit about Captain Marvel, and I'm I'm still umming and ahhing about that. Um, and I and I with the Thor bit, I really agreed with what you said about the the Thor bit. I didn't mention too much about his his powers go up and down. I didn't put my opinion too much on that, and that I agree massively with that. That was a really big frustration for me because he's 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 so massive when he appears in the fight in Wakanda, and he essentially wins that war single handedly. Oh, with Thanos that has every single Infinity Stone, and Thor is still able to overpower him. And then he gets absolutely battered in right. the tree, and there's a trio. So it's not only that; it's like there's a trio, and they got you've got uh, Captain America and Iron Man next to you, and for whatever reason, you're you're still getting battered. So that was a frustration. But no, we've really covered it, and overall, yeah, I'm glad that we've discussed it because I don't think we've really fleshed it out. So I'm glad this was a topic for today. 
Oh, good, man. No, I enjoyed it, dude. I, you know, and I'll, I'll just say this again. Yeah, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is an incredible achievement. It's unprecedented in Hollywood. Uh, it's it's changed Hollywood forever, for better or worse. You know, um, uh, there's a lot of pros and cons about it, but it really is. It, it's just an absolutely incredible achievement. But um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about what what are the big movie events, you know, that we get to experience throughout the year. Marvel Marvel is now the, the they are the premier movie event you know it's not Star Wars it's not uh, and and it's it, it really saddens me to say that because for me it, Star Wars was always the big movie event that was that you know that is what incited cheer and clapping in movie theaters it was Star Wars but I mean without a doubt you know the the MCU is just I mean it's just these are the premier blockbuster events yeah people go and see like if anybody goes see anything in theaters it's a marvel movie so um but all right ryan dude this was a fun conversation man i appreciate it uh why don't you go ahead and let let the listeners know how they can reach out to you and follow you online as always i'm ryan from lifeoffilms.com um pop on over and read some of my reviews got some good blogs there and if you want to have any further conversations with me about what we discuss on here on site then all my information is on there to get in contact so yeah hope to speak to you soon all right thanks everyone we really appreciate appreciate you joining us on today's episode um hope everyone is safe and healthy out there uh remember wash your hands uh social distancing is still in place so uh you know do your thing to to help out um uh when you can and so again thanks so much and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week the backseat director's theme song is let's go to the movies by ozo motley you can find the album ozo motley presents ozo kids and all of their other music on itunes the Backseat Directors podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We find our seats, the perfect road. Why? It's the perfect day for a movie. Let's go see the show. Let's go. Documentaries, uh, so many options, so much variety. There's a perfect movie for you and him and her and me. Uh, so find your seat in the perfect row. Sit back, relax, kick up your feet, and turn off your phone. Uh,